There's a recent survey asked of parents, what's the most irritating question that their children ask them? Can you guess what it is? Give you a clue, car, journey, situation. There we go, Phil. Said it already. Oh, no, really? Well done, my friend Jake. Yeah, thought that was from Phil, far left. Are we nearly there yet? I think for my parents, it wouldn't be that question. But on the endless holidays that we went to, to the highlands of Scotland, (laughs) year in, year out, rain, snow, shine, walking. Always walking. Our question that most irritated my parents, undoubtedly, are we nearly at the top? Are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly at the top? You see, we want to be there. We want to arrive. If you've been at any race, run, cycle, swim, you can't wait for the end. Am I nearly there yet? See the series in Romans 8? There's hope and a promise of the future. And yet, before we get there, here's the big charge for every believer who trusts in the Lord Jesus that now, today, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Do you remember this fellow, George Mallory? Do you remember this is where we started four four weeks ago? The 1924 mountaineer, the first successful summit attempt of Everest. He was last seen a couple of hundred meters below the summit. Did he ever get there? We don't know. Did he ever conquer the mountain? We do not know, but he was last seen climbing. And perhaps that's the question for us so very often in the Christian life. Will we ever get there? Will we ever conquer that sin? Will we ever feel as though we're God's children? We hear the promises, we hear what the Bible says, but will it ever sink in? Will we ever get there? In our failure, in our doubt, in our direst moments, how do we know we'll ever make it? When God seems so distant, when the world around seems so depressing, when we feel crushed and pinned by the culture that we live in, to go along with its norms, to go along with what the world says is right, when it's so hard to be a Christian, when it's so hard to do the right thing, when we feel like screaming, God, where are you? Will we ever get there? Will we ever last the course? And I hope if you've been following Romans 8, and if you're a Christian here today, I hope you've heard throughout four weeks, Paul is saying to all of those questions, there's a resounding yes, a volley of yeses, yes, 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 yes. And if you're visiting here today, and if you've been with us for the 18 months that we've existed, and you're not a Christian, there's real hope in Romans 8. Hope that will hopefully answer your questions about life, your questions about Christianity, about its reliability, about what it really means. Romans 8 is for you. It's for you if you trust in Jesus. It's for you if you do not, because it provokes your thinking. Let me just recap, because I think it's 
it's really important that we do this. We look at verses 1 to 11. If you've got your Bibles open, do a quick scan if you have of Romans 8. And we're looking every week at the Spirit's work. This is why we can say yes, yes, yes. Because the Christian believes that the Spirit is is at work in the heart of the believer. So 1 to 11, we looked at the Spirit's work in the life of the Christian. So do not doubt. There is no need to doubt the power of God because the Spirit is at work in the life of every believer. We then looked at verses 12 to 17. We looked at the Spirit of sonship. There is no need to fear. It's the identity of every Christian. You've been adopted as a child of God. Your Father is God in heaven and you've been sealed. By the work of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit who brings then control to life rather than indulgence. Confidence instead of fear. And then week three we looked at verses 18 to 27 last week. The Spirit is interceding. He continually intercedes between us and the Father. So don't keep on sinning. The believer now has an ability to fight against the wrong in life. The life of the Christian is all about living in the fallen world, a tough world, one that is full of suffering, full of frustration, full of decay, but the Spirit works within us, intercedes for us, makes sense of situations, helps us talk to God, and helps us come in line with his will. It's all about the Spirit's work. And therefore, coming into the last part of Romans 8, we can say that it's the Spirit's power that enables us to live like we are more than conquerors. Therefore, it's the Spirit's work that enables us to live like we are more than conquerors. There's the overview. That's where we're heading today. There's our first point, verses 28 to 30. It's God's work in salvation. Do you remember the suffering? Johnny pulled this out last week for us really well. Paul is suffering. Remember that context. The context is suffering. He's being persecuted for what he believes in. We talked in home group uh, on Monday night we had ours. We talked about how hard it is to listen to Paul and his suffering as a Christian and try and relate that to our world here in Bicester. Suffering as a Christian. There are many things in life that bring suffering. Many things in life that bring frustration and hardship. But my actual suffering as a Christian, for me personally, what does that boil down to? Maybe a couple of quick jibes, a couple of quick jokes from friends. But not much more than that for me. For you perhaps a little more. Family members who don't know Jesus. And you feel perhaps pinpointed, persecuted, pointed the finger, challenged every time you meet them. Perhaps suffering is more real for you, but it's hard for me to listen to Paul and then to equate what he's saying in his situation to the Christians in Rome who are suffering, and for me to translate that, I don't know, maybe 20 years from now, who knows, 10, 15 years from now, Christians in Bicester will be persecuted for what they believe in, who knows? 
Therefore, Romans 8 gets us ready for this. The first point, verse 28, 30, God's work in salvation. Look how he starts. And we know. And we know. There's confidence and there's clarity. And look careful here. Paul's not saying uh, that his knowledge is is what he's put confidence in. He knows full of confidence and certainty in God and God's work. Look at that, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Context, suffering. Christians crying out, where is God? Where is our God? Is this what it really means to be a Christian? what Paul is saying. Do you know what God is doing in the heart of every believer? Do you know what he's doing? We're being remade and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. You see that? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purposes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is God doing in the heart of every believer? Paul, what is God doing? What is he up to? And Paul writes back, this is what he's up to. In every situation, you might be coming more like the Lord Jesus. That you might be becoming more like him in his suffering, in his pain. That's what God is all about. That's what God is all about in you, dear Christian. He is making you more like Jesus today, in every situation. And look, it's all God's work. It's all God's work in salvation. Look how many times God is mentioned. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified this is what God is doing. It's the reversal of Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind. Once humanity, men, women, were made in the image of God. They were made to image Him. They were made to worship Him. They were made to image Him in relationship. They were made to image Him with their creativity. And now see what God is doing. He is restating creationship. He is in relationship. Do you see? Do you see that? Can you see that for God? For those God foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's doing. That he might be the firstborn, Jesus, among many brothers and sisters. That you and I are being united. It's creation recreated through Jesus, united 
to him. Jesus the first. And there will be many brothers or sisters after him. And it's with our creativity as well. He's the creative God in Genesis 1. And he tells Adam and Eve to go and cultivate the gardens to subdue the land and name the animals and govern the world. And now he's bringing creation back to its recreated status in all things. God is working for our good. All things. In all things. He's recreating creation. Bring us back to the relationship that we were always meant to be in with God. The creativity that he's given us in all things. How can that be? Because it's quite easy to say, I, I get how God's working there. And isn't it great at Town Church we've seen that growth and we've seen that people who are being encouraged. And, 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 and it's great, isn't it? Oh, I remember a couple of Sundays ago, I remember the fun day, God was at work then. Oh, he was. Oh, look at the newborn babies born uh, to us at Town Church. God is at work. He's a good God, isn't he? Yes, 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 yes. All those things. But Paul is saying here to a group of Christians who are under persecution, in all things, God is working for our good. He's working for our good, which is to make us more like the Lord Jesus. He is working for our good. Not our comfort, not my convenience, not my gain, not my success, not my popularity, not my prestige, not my bank balance. He's not working for those things. He is not working for those things that I would have a secure job. No, 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 God is not working for that. Do you know what he's working for? For my good, which is to make me more and more and more and more like the Lord Jesus. That is what he is working for. So when the car breaks down on the M6, God is working for my good. Do you know when he forgets to put the bins out? He's working for my good. Do you know when she burns the toast again? God is working for my good. You know when he forgets to hang the washing up and the washing is there in the washing machine for all day long and smells so much that you need to wash it again. Do you know God is working for my good. You know when diaries clash? He's working for my good. Do you know when you're called into school and you're told your son has just bitten the finger of another child? God is working for your good, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, to become more like Jesus in the way that we act, in the way that we react, in the way that we speak. God is working for my good when key relationships break down. God is working for my good when there's no more joy from the online dating website. There's no movement. He's working for your good when she miscarriages for the third time. God is working for your good. You know when the cyber bully attacks? He's working for your good. Do you know when the results of the test come in? Cancer. 
He is working for your good. Do you know when the heart attack results in death? He is working for your good because in all things. That's why Paul includes the all there. In all things. He is working for the good of those who love him. Dan Strange says this uh, in a book plugged in. Everything is transformed and seen with new eyes when you become a Christian. While still very real, still very sad, and often so mysterious, life is never pointless, but serves the purpose of making us more like Christ. And he goes on to say, even human death, that last enemy of ours, it becomes ours. Because death puts an end to our sinning and is our entrance to life. Even God is working for our good in that moment. I'll never forget the moment when my dad came back from a walking holiday. I think I've told this story. And here was the pastor of the church. And him and his wife and many others from the church were walking in the hills. And the dear pastor's wife, David Wynn, his name was, Gillian Wynn, she was struck with a heart attack going up one of the Munros in Scotland. She got airlifted to hospital. And later on, as they were in the hospital and praying that God would heal her, then she passed away. And the doctor came through uh, to speak to David Wynn, the pastor of the church, and said she hasn't made it. Uh, and David drove back to the rest of the group, 30 in total, as they were praying. They'd seen the helicopter airlift his wife to the local hospital. And David Wynn said, God is good. He's good. The first words uttered out of his mouth. God is good. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Doesn't life seem frustrating sometimes? Don't we wish we had all the answers? All the, the whys? Why would God let that happen? Here the Christians are being literally battered for their faith. And Paul can say, it's for your good. Because he's making you like Jesus. And do you know what even death? is wonderful gain. Because you'll be like him in your completeness, free from any kind of sin. It is for your good. Look, let's pick out some of these key words in here because there's some mighty theological words also in our first point. Look at the big picture. Don't lose the wood for the trees. Don't lose sight of the wood for the trees here. Paul is trying to raise our sights. For God, verse 29, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And verse 30 is a reiteration of this verse again. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. In all of this, we see the invincible determination of God. That's what's going on here. 
the invincible determination of God. Look, start at the beginning. Those he foreknew. He knew from the beginning of time those who are his. Before the world was created. That's what that word means, foreknew. Those he foreknew, he also, what? He predestined. Predestined simply means marks them out. They're identified before the creation of the world so that God would save them from the ravages of the present evil age and gather them into his family. If you're a Christian, he foreknew you before the world began. If you're a Christian, he predestined you, he marked you out. And then you've been called. You've been called through the gospel. He effectively calls you. It's an effectual calling. It's successful in producing its desired effect. If he calls you, you cannot. You cannot turn away from his call. And those he's called, he's also justified. It's a declaration of not guilty. That's God justifying you. Not guilty. And those he justifies, he also glorifies ultimately to conform you into the image of his son. You know, throughout the whole web of history of mankind, this is what God is doing out of sheer love for people, sheer love for you. You know, Spurgeon said this doctrine of election, and men, many of us might be groaning now, going, oh, I can't get my head around this. Uh, in fact, I don't want to believe this. Do you know what Spurgeon says? He calls this doctrine of election that God before the beginning of time would have his hand on you. He calls this the most stripping doctrine of all. And it's humbling because it means that my salvation began with God, not me. This is Paul's plain teaching. I don't like to be humbled so I can quickly, easily, quite happily reject this key doctrine on election. But it drives right into the psyche of human existence. See, I want to be in control. I want to say when I chose to follow Jesus, Paul won't let me. I want to know the part that I played in salvation. Paul won't let me, not in this section. He says, no, no, no. He foreknew you and predestined you and he called you. And you couldn't help but hear his call and follow. Do you know what he did after calling? He justified you, declared you're not guilty. And then he glorified you. See, the doctrine of election, careful on this as we go on, it's always in the context of helping us understand the great blessings that God has given us. The doctrine of election is always helping me to understand God and his goodness and his grace towards me. It's not to get arrogantly big-headed about that he saved me and he hasn't saved them. No, no. It's to help me remember and understand it's not my work, it's his work. Quickly, points two and three are fast because that was a big chunk. So look, here's our first point. It's God's work in salvation. And here's the second point from the verses 31 and 36. Our questions are answered. Because here come the questions from the Christians who are being persecuted. Look, let's go quickly uh, through these. Verse 31. 
See that? Is there any enemy, says Paul, that can defeat those who trust in Jesus? There's the question. Is there any enemy that can defeat those who trust in Jesus? Paul's answer, no. Look how God over all things is in charge. How he's given us his own son. Look at the extent of the support for us through Jesus, Paul says. And it preempts another question. Is there any barrister in a court of law who can bring charges that will stick against me? Verse 33. You see that? Paul says, no. God has convincingly spoken with a declaration that means we're right with him. Not guilty, says the God of the universe. Verse 34, the next question. Is there an accuser that can condemn us? Paul, no. Jesus, where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. He will not let any accusation fly to the Father. He silences them all as he sits at the right hand throne of God because he's dealt with every single one of them. Is there an accuser who can condemn us? No. Jesus deals with every accusation against us. And verse 35. Is there anyone or anything that can separate us from God's love? No. Because he operates every possible situation. And so it's the last point. Our questions answered. And verses 37 to 39. Our position finally realized. To read it together, verses 37 and 39. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor powers, no, sorry, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at the way he brings these pieces together. There's nothing natural. In this natural world order, there is nothing. And there is nothing in the supernatural world order. Angels, demons, nor any powers. They may be marshaled up against us for our persecution, yet they will not win. His persecuted Christians, us in Bista, let the persecutions in their pain and their horror and in the ordeal, don't speak of God's rejection, Paul is saying. Don't speak of the greater power of demons, us in Bister in 5, in 10, 15, 20 years or now, in our pain and in our horror, in our frustration, in our persecution, let's not speak of God's rejection or the greater power of demons. Rather understand that every hostile force, every, every hostile force, natural, supernatural, every hostile force is still under the sovereign rule of God. Controlled for our good, for my good, for your good. God will save his people. He'll save them through every stormy gale. Because his love is greater 
There's nothing that will separate me from God's love because my God is greater. And the word here, as we finish, Paul uses, we're more than conquerors. That word actually means super conquerors. It's more than a conqueror. We're super conquerors. So think where we started, right at the beginning of verse 1. How do we start? We started with no condemnation. We'll appear on here. Verse 1, no condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Start of chapter 8. And how does Paul finish? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We started with no condemnation. And we finish with no chance of separation. No condemnation if you trust Jesus. If you do not, the Bible speaks of a condemnation that awaits. So I beg and I urge you, turn to Jesus today. Today, turn to him. But if you're a Christian, here it is, no condemnation. No one who can bring a false charge uh, against me. Guilty. No, I am not, even though I so am, but I'm not guilty because Jesus says, not guilty, because he took the punishment that I deserve. And now there's no chance of separation. How do I know this? Because my Savior loves me so. He just loves me so. And he will hold me fast to the very end. He will hold me fast whenever that ending comes. I'm going to invite John and Damaris um, to get ready for the final song. But let me pray. We're going to sing about that. They would hold us fast. Father, in a moment as we try and capture some of the thoughts, the words that Paul uses, how we try and take those words and and relay them to our life that in all things you work for the good of those who love you in all things you're working for my good because your good is to make me more like Jesus father in a moment of silence please help us to get our heads around that And then, Father God, help me, help us, to be convinced like Paul that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please help us to grasp a little bit more of that magnificent truth. That there is no condemnation for me. I'm free. I'm liberated. And there is no chance of separation as long as I continue to trust that the Lord Jesus is my Savior. Father, help us to grasp it and to live for it this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand if we're able and sing those words that he will hold us fast. And then the second song. And can it be? Here's the song uh, that talks about Romans uh, chapter 8. And uh, magnificent that we finish uh, with this song too. So stand if you're able and we'll sing these tunes together.